Corman podcast should not be interpreted as legal advice and are intended for general information purposes only. Welcome to our podcast series, Immigration Insights. This series is a high-level overview on what businesses need to know each week as it relates to immigration. My name is Melissa Azalea-Kenny. I'm a partner on the immigration team at Byrne Foreman, and I am your host for this podcast series. I've been working in the immigration arena for more than 20 years in a wide variety of industries, including manufacturing, healthcare, and education. And today I look forward to talking with you about the H-1B visa program and some alternatives for employers if your particular H-1B case was not selected for the fiscal year 2022 cap. So let me start just by explaining that. The H-1B visa is a non-immigrant visa that allows a U.S. employer to hire a foreign worker in what we call a specialty occupation position. So typically a specialty occupation would be a job that requires at least a bachelor's degree in a specific field or higher. Normally it would be a position that would have um, require theoretical and practical application of highly specialized knowledge A good example would be an engineer or a researcher or perhaps a faculty member or a teacher. So the cap relates to a congressionally mandated maximum number of H-1Bs issued each year. And the congressionally mandated cap is 85,000 per fiscal year. 65,000 of those are for what we call the regular cap. And there's an additional 20,000 for those with U.S. master's degrees or higher. So in late March, there was a cap filing period and employers submitted hundreds of thousands of petitions seeking to obtain one of these H-1B slots for particular employees. In early April, the immigration office announced that there were um, only a certain number of those individuals selected for the cap and those folks were then eligible to start filing H-1B petitions there were certainly lots of cases that were not selected for the cap. I I think there were over 200,000 cases submitted, and of course, 85,000 were selected. And so for those that were selected, there's a 90-day filing period that ends on June 30th. So one thing employers should be mindful of is if they were selected for the H-1B cap for the particular case that they registered, they would need to file their H-1B petition with USCIS on or before June 30th. So now is a great time if you were selected for the cap on your case to be assessing your case, strategizing the way that you want to position the case for hopefully a successful H-1B petition approval. But there are a lot of employers, as I mentioned, that that didn't have cases selected for the cap. And what I want to talk about today is some strategies that employers might consider, some alternative strategies that they might consider if their case was not selected for the cap. And one of those that I want to talk about are sort of practical training options that are commonly used for F1 students. The first that I want to mention is something called optional practical training or OPT. And this is when a student in F1 status who might have been trying to change to H1B but did not get selected for the cap might be able to engage in optional practical training, which is really practical training in their field of study that they can do by performing a job for an employer. They can apply for 12 months of this OPT at each academic level, so bachelor's, master's, and PhD. It can be pre-completion and post-completion. Most of the time it is after graduation. Keep in mind, though, that if they do pre-completion OPT, that is deducted from the time that they can use after graduation. But the general rule is that they can work in their field of study for up to 12 months upon graduating. 
Now, if a particular F1 student completed a degree in the STEM field, science, technology, engineering, or math, there's also an opportunity to apply for an additional 24-month OPT extension. So that would be a total of 36 months in OPT. In order to take advantage of that role, the employer must be enrolled in E-Verify, which is mandatory in many states, but not all. And it's also important to remember that if the employee files an OPT extension and they're waiting for that to be approved, there is a 100-day automatic extension of their work authorization. So while that application is pending, they can still continue to work for the employer. So those would be a couple of options with OPT. Now, there's also something called CPT, Curricular Practical Training, and this is another avenue where F1 students particularly might be able to engage in employment. This is very similar to OPT in that you're gaining practical experience related to your field of study, but it's usually done through more of an internship or co-op type program. It can be full-time or part-time. CPT, however, must be completed before you graduate. And what you have to remember is if a student does work full-time in CPT for 12 months or more, they will lose their OPT eligibility. So it's important to really assess those rules carefully and, and know how that works. But for part-time CPT or CPT less than 12 months in duration, this is an excellent option if somebody's not selected for the CAP, but yet they still want to continue to engage in some sort of productive employment for pay for the employer. The way that they do CPT as well as OPT is to talk to the, the designated school official at the university where they graduated or are pursuing studies, and they can endorse the appropriate documents to authorize that CPT or OPT. Another option that I want to address that might be an alternative to the H-1B would be the TN visa. This is a visa that's used for Canadian and Mexican citizens performing professional occupations. There's a list of 63 occupations on the TN schedule. This used to be part of the NAFTA treaty. It's now, of course, the USMCA, but it operates very similar. And most of the jobs on the list do require at least a bachelor's degree or higher. There are a couple of exceptions, but that's the general rule. Occupations on there might be an engineer, faculty members certainly could be qualify, certain health professions, doctors or physical therapists. So there's a wide variety of occupations on the list. The Canadian TN typically is done at the border, so it doesn't require a visit to the consulate. So that's pretty expedient. The Mexican TN, however, does require a visit to the U.S. consular or embassy, which can be a challenge right now given some of the consulate and embassy delays due to COVID. The TN, if granted, is, is valid up to a three-year period, but it can be renewed indefinitely. So it's a very good option if you have a Canadian or Mexican citizen fulfilling a professional occupation. I also wanted to give a brief overview of the O-1 visa. This is a very um, narrow category, but if somebody qualifies, it's a great alternative to the H-1B. And that would be for somebody who has extraordinary ability and national or international acclaim in science, education, business, or athletics. This is somebody that typically would be at the very, very top of their field, and that would typically be confirmed through expert letters and other documentation of reputable things that they've done in their field. Maybe they've published in high-quality referee journals, or maybe they've won a very significant award. Maybe they've been asked by a journal or another major news publication to write an article, and they're published. So those are the types of things we're looking for with the O-1 
it is an initial three-year period and it can be renewed indefinitely in one-year increments. The last strategy that I want to mention relates to somebody who might be going through the green card process and perhaps they're married to someone that's going through the green card process and by virtue of that sponsorship for the green card, they have an employment authorization document or EAD. So this might be, like I said, somebody going through the green card process. It also could be a spouse of an L1 visa holder who are eligible to obtain the EAD. It also could be a spouse of an H1B visa holder if that person also has an approved I-140. So there's you know, some different rules with it, but as a general rule, the spouse may be able to work and obtain this EAD, which would allow them to engage in productive employment for an employer as an alternative to the H-1B if they had applied. So that wraps up Immigration Insights this week. I hope this update has been helpful in covering some cutting-edge business immigration issues and giving you a little more information about alternatives to the H-1B program. If there's any topics that you would like me to address or if you have any questions, please reach out to me at 843-785-2171 or via email at makenny at burr.com. To find our podcast, webinars, and other legal resources on immigration, please visit our website at burr.com. This series is also available on Apple Podcasts. And thank you for listening.